are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on June 29th of 2021. Happy Jackie Robinson episode, Matt. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Episode 42. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's episode 42 already. But, uh... Well, on this episode today, we got a, a you know a, a kind of minor major trade that happened. It, it's not going to be too impactful, but we have that trade. Uh, we have our first major league pitcher to get caught for a foreign substance, air quotations around that, um, and get his suspension, and quite possibly the worst no-hitter that we have ever witnessed in our lifetimes, um, and we'll break that down. Uh, but before we jump into all that, how are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, just hanging out uh, been real busy last week or so and uh, i hope everyone has a uh, happy fourth of july this weekend i think i might be going to my first uh braves game of the year and, and the first baseball game i've been major league baseball game i've been to in uh but since before the pandemic here uh, on saturday so i'm hoping that i'm able to make it over there for that so that'll be pretty cool but uh, but yeah we're uh everything's going well how about yourself uh just you know hot with it being a hundred and seven or something just ridiculous i think we're on a stretch of like 15 days of over 105 or something uh, so just trying to trying to stay cool over here feel that for sure let's jump into this this trade we had happened today um and that was between the marlins and the blue jays uh the marlins received joe panic in a minor league righty andrew mcinvale I believe is how they pronounce it. And the Toronto Blue Jays receive Adam Simber, relief pitcher, um, outfield outfielder Corey Dickerson, and $2.65 million in cash. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is an interesting trade here. Um, I, I think the big piece is obviously Corey Dickerson here. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, is a real solid outfielder, probably a platoon guy. Um, hits right-handed pitching pretty well. Uh, you know, for his career, he's his worst career batting average is, is 245 back in 2016. But other than that, I mean, he's typically been a upper 200s to 300 level batting average hitter, and uh, always puts up above average uh, production at the plate. Uh, last year, a little bit lower than typical, with 90, a 96 WRC plus, which would be you know just a tiny bit below average. But this year, back to a 101 in his career, 114. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's capable of playing the outfield, not, not great out there, but he, you know, he can, he can do it. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been pretty good for Miami. Um, he's a guy who's going to do get a lot of, do a lot of the right, right things out there in, in the outfield and, and at the plate. So, um, good contact puts the ball, puts the ball in play most of the time. So, uh, you know, I think he's a pretty good pickup and you look at Adam Simber, as a uh, a guy who I, I've always been interested in, Adam Simber. He's he's a a sidearm underhand type reliever um, that you know he's had a couple really good seasons. He put up a great season uh, with the uh, with the Padres before he was traded to Cleveland. Then he kind of fell off for a couple years, and then you know this year he's been really good in Miami. Uh, he doesn't strike many guys out, but he gets the ball on the ground pretty well, and uh, you know, he gets a uh, doesn't walk a ton of guys. He's just kind of your crafty sidearm, you know, right hander that that can you know 
that can make some that can make some uh you know get some get some outs when you need them, especially you know with guys on base get double play outs. Yeah, so the the really interesting part of this deal to me is that uh, the Blue Jays were actually really targeting Adam Simber in the deal um, to be a high leverage guy in their bullpen. They've even said that already, and that the Marlins kind of wanted to just throw Dickerson in and even offset some of the salary with that two point six five million because they have the emergence of Jesus Sanchez, um, yeah. one of their top prospects in left field now, and he's been really good. Um, and, and the reason he's been up is because Dickerson is on the IL currently with an ankle injury. Um, and he's going to have like a walking boot on for another couple weeks. So Dickerson's still a little ways out, but the Blue Jays really wanted to make a splash to their bullpen right now, get an impact righty. Um, you know, and when Dickerson does come back, like you said, he'll be a solid piece for them. Their lineup is really right-handed heavy. Um, so getting a guy like a left-handed outfielder that they could put out there sometimes, you know, I think really they have like, Rowdy Telez, Kevin Biggio, and I think Reese McGuire, maybe. It's like those are their main lefty hitters. So adding a guy that can produce like Dickerson will help them a lot. And then it also allows the Marlins to, you know, give Jesus Sanchez the full run in left field and say, like, okay, what do you have? Are you going to be a main piece for us? And we can kind of let you season a little bit at the major league level instead of in the minors. Yeah, you got to. You got to remember uh, JJ Blade is another guy who will be up at some point for them too. So absolutely, um, and, and the thing is, is, Dickerson's not a free agent until next year, until um, after uh, after twenty twenty two. He's a free agent, and uh, Adam Simber won't be a free agent until twenty twenty five. So they actually get a, a you know pretty good four years of control for Adam Simber on top of that all, and they and they really only take on one point three million dollars of salary this year. Yeah, so I think this is a good trade for them. Uh, you look at the Marlins, and you know they didn't give up too much. I don't, I don't think Adam Simber, maybe for a, maybe for a, a, a short period of time as a fill-in, like like for what the Blue Jays need right now, he could be a, a nice bullpen arm. But I don't really think he's much of a long-term solution. Um, there's just not enough swing and miss in his game. Um, and then you look at a. You know, you look at Corey Dickerson as a guy who's kind of a platoon outfielder, but as you said, um, Jesus Sanchez being there for the Marlins is definitely somebody that, you know, is going to take that time away from, from Corey Dickerson as a team that's, I think, kind of on the back end of a rebuild with the way their pitching staff is. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, you look at the guys the Marlins got back in this trade, um, you know, I think that you've got Joe Panic as a guy who, puts the ball in play a lot. Um, he hits, he's a contact hitter. He'll be fine off the bench. He's one of those examples of somebody that you could always use off your bench as a guy who, if you've got a guy on third with less than two outs or something, he's your guy. He's not going to strike out. And, you know, he's not the best hitter. He doesn't hit the ball especially hard. 41 career home runs. He did put up a few nice years in, uh, in San Francisco at the beginning of his career, but he really has not been a very good player for the last four seasons. So, uh, you know, this year, you, you know, you take, you take what he has and, you know, you hope you can maybe get a, you know, get some, get some good production out of him as a bench bat and, and a guy who can handle a couple infield spots. So, uh, the, and then the, the bullpen arm that they got, well, I expect the bull, bullpen arm, um, it's a guy who, you know, he, he actually has exclusively pitched out of the bullpen in his minor league career. Uh, and, you know, he's a high strikeout guy who struggles with command at times. But, uh, you know, I guess he's a potential, you know, 
bullpen arm in the majors. So, yeah, he was a like a thirty seventh round pick in twenty nineteen or something, twenty four yeah. years old. So, like you said, it, he pretty much profiles as a uh, as a bullpen arm. He's a guy who his peripherals are really, you know, compared to what his his xFIP is a lot better than what his FIP is compared to his ERA. So, yeah, it'll be he, interesting he, to see. Yeah, he's got a, he gets a lot of strikeouts. Anytime you see somebody who, who's got a really high strikeout rate like that, you're at least intrigued by them a little bit as a bullpen arm potentially. But, I mean, he's probably more of an organizational depth type, you know, reliever that, you know, maybe has a little bit more upside than some other types. So, Yeah, not a, not a big piece at all. But let's move on to uh, – which one do we want to go to? We want to go to Santiago or we want to go to the no-hitter? Uh, let's talk about Santiago. All right, so Hector Santiago of the Seattle Mariners was the first person to get popped for having a, air quotations, foreign substance um, in his or on his body while pitching um, and was automatically suspended for 10 games, confiscated his glove um, and everything. And it's come out, he said it's it's been sweat and rosin that was actually inside his glove, not on his pitching hand or anything. Uh, and the umpires deemed that it was still sticky enough and that you're not allowed to have rosin on any part of your uniform. I guess that's part of the rule. Um, but basically, Santiago has been suspended for 10 games, and he is appealing that as of right now. Yeah, so um, this is a interesting situation. You've got a guy who, you know, I think at some point we are expecting that somebody would get nabbed for this because they were going to, you know, there's going to be some of these borderline major league pictures and, and Santiago's an, an example of a guy who, you know, is kind of struggling and, and it's why not, you know, if you're struggling, why not try to try to do it and hide it? I think is part of the thing too. And if you get caught, then, you know, you're probably going to get DFA anyways. But, um, you look at Santiago and, um, I mean, I, it's, it is extremely hard to determine whether or not, you know, what's legit and what's not with this. You know, if, it, if what he says is true, that it's sweat and rosin, I don't know how you can, you know, suspend him for that because, you know, you, you get you get rosin on your hands. I mean, if you're – it's legal to use rosin. You get it on your hands. You, you're sweaty because you're, a, you know, an, a professional athlete and you're, you know, doing your job how can you avoid it type thing? Um, you know, now it's entirely possible that he might have, he might be, you know, exaggerating exactly what happened or whatever. But, you know, I, I think there needs to be a way for them to kind of test and see what kind of substance, if it's something like spider tack, that is extra sticky, then kick them out. But if it's something like sweat and rosin, they probably, there's a good chance they can't help that. So, you know, I, I think there needs to be some form of way to determine this. Yeah, and, and that's the problem is Major League Baseball has even come out and said that they will not test this stuff. So the umpire makes the call on the field, and whatever he deems is sticky is therefore an automatic, you know, basically that that's it. That's what's what's going to happen. Where, you know, your Santiago did, did appeal, and most people will appeal it, but there's no leg for them to stand on because – MLB confiscated his glove, but they won't test his glove. They won't test what is there. And he can't say, look, my hand's not sticky at, you know, 
10 days after when the, the appeals trial happens or whatever, there's no way for them to actually know at that point unless if the umpire says, oh, his hand's sticky, well, go right here, they swab his hand, and we go and test it. And then if you're going to confiscate the glove, say something's in there, you have to test what is in the glove so you know. Because many pitchers have already shown that sweat and rosin can be a tacky substance. It can be a thing, but those are both legal. They're completely legal. And you can't tell them that, oh, you can't have it on your glove hand when you're going to have it on your hand anyways because you're trying to rub the ball up to make it sticky enough. So, of course, it's going to get in your glove. Heck, when we, I was playing baseball, my glove was sticky on the inside anyways, and I didn't use anything, any rosin or whatever. It was just sweat. Like, it's going to be sticky anyways. So trying to sell that the guy's inside of his pitching hand glove is sticky and not trying to test it to even see what it is. I mean, that's just a little ridiculous. And then, like they're saying, making the umpire have all the duty of the call. But what if one umpire thinks something's sticky but the other umpire doesn't? Like you have, it's all up to what the umpire's judgment is. There's no clear cut of, oh, well, this seems sticky or this is sticky. Like Angel Hernandez can call something sticky, but Lance Barksdale's not going to think it's sticky at all. Like he's just like, oh, whatever. You, yeah. There's no way of, you know, of actually knowing what is the level of sticky that is too sticky for an umpire to call it. It's yeah. all just up to their interpretation. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, what what major league baseball is trying to crack down on a no tolerance for anything i think it's that's part of the reason is they don't want that to be a judgment call they don't want the umpire to say oh this is spider attack when it's not we're going to suspend you or another guy say that i think that's why they're kind of doing a hard line on this well then test um, well i agree i mean that's what i'm saying they need to find some way to test this or figure out exactly what 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 it is um right so, because you you can't offer them rosin which you know is a sticky substance like or sticky enough to allow you a attack on the ball to where it's more controllable you know like where you're going to have something on your hand you if, if that's illegal then why give them it if you're going to call them out for using that then why have the rosin bag on the mound like that yeah. it, to me it just makes no sense you if you're going to say that oh well we know this is some here pitchers this is supposed to help you it's been a thing all along but we're going to call we're going to like if if we think it's sticky we're going to take you out when it, it could very well be the substance that we're providing you to use right which which is why I'm, you know i'm of the opinion that you know they they do need to figure some way out to determine what what it is what it you know uh, there's just a, there's no good way to determine it for the umpires on the field what i think needs to be the case is I think the umpires need to need to give a pitcher a warning if if they catch it or something, and then confiscate that glove after somebody's outing it instead of just ejecting them in the regular season. Because it would be easy in the postseason for someone to hey say, say someone's pitching Game Seven of the World Series, say oh I'm just going to get all the spider attack I want, and if they confiscate my glove after the outing, it doesn't matter that type of thing. But I think what they need to do is I think they need to find a way to you know, do this without having it be a, you know, without having it to be an immediate ejection and to make sure that they're right about what it is on the glove. And, you know, like I say, and like you said, you know, you, you're allowed to use rosin to, to, you know, to rub up your hands, to get a little bit of grip. And, 
you know, if you're allowed to use rosin, then, you know, I don't understand how, I mean, you, you know, I guess pitchers are going to have to be extremely careful not to get rosin anywhere but their pitching fingers. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly, uh, exactly how to, you know, how, how this could be done better, but, um, you know, I think you look at also the fact that, you know, the one thing that, that, that to me is kind of weird about this is that, you know, nobody else is being caught. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching a game right now and the pitcher's bumping rosin on his hands. So, I mean, I don't know. Nobody else has been caught. So I don't know. If it's possible that Santiago is not telling the truth. It's possible that he was using, you know, rosin and sunscreen or spider tack or something and putting it in his glove and then making excuses. I, I don't know. But I will tell you that I think that, you know, there needs to be better ways to determine of what it is. And, 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 you know, if you're going to suspend for this, which I think there's definitely a need for that, you need to figure out exactly what the, you know, what's going on here. Absolutely. And like you said, none of us do know, but nobody will ever know unless they do some form of, of testing. Um, but another thing that, the, you know, that the rule is saying that you're not allowed to have it on any part of your uniform. Well, what about, I mean, now you, you don't see it quite as much like we were talking before the thing about Kimbrel having, you know, that, that spot on his hat where it was powdery white. How can you, I mean, it just makes no sense that you're trying to tell a pitcher, oh, you can't have it here either. Like, oh, you can only have it on your pitching hand. It's just a really hard, you know, way to try and, I mean, you're already limiting the pitcher so much. And now you're telling them the one substance they can have that you're providing them. They can only have it on one part of their body or uniform. Yeah. And, and it, it, like, like, like I said, it is, that's an extremely difficult rule to follow. Yeah. It, it, it Rules shouldn't be rules should be things that, you know, it's not difficult to follow. It, it, it's extremely difficult to follow a rule where you're allowed to use something. But if you happen to get a little bit on your glove, you know, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, it, maybe they thought maybe it was real sticky and, you know, maybe he had been pouring rosin into his glove on purpose to get us to get it sticky to go to it or something. But I, I mean, I, like I say, and like you said, I, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how you could determine that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I you know, we were talking before the show, you said you thought they this might have been like a plant that they are trying to, you know, that they're trying to nab somebody you know without them actually having done anything and i'm sitting here thinking well i think they did find something sticky but they're taking their hard line here to prove hey we're at we're not joking around well and that, that's so. part of my thing is that i i what i'm trying to say is a plan of i don't think that any pitcher is going to be dumb enough to use a foreign substance the week these tests start i don't think any any pitcher is dumb enough to do that be knowing that they're doing these checks all the time, right? And that a guy like Hector Santiago, he's, like you said, he's barely holding on to the major league spot. He's doing it with the Seattle Mariners who, I mean, not a great team. I mean, we've talked, they've had their moments and, and you know, you think they might be able to make a run at something. But I'm thinking that Manfred, Rob Manfred has been called out a lot, especially this week, by a lot of pitchers and stuff for saying that these are ridiculous and whatever, and it's a bad look. So he needed something to sort of say, like, look, like you said, we're serious about this and we're going to crack down on stuff like this. 
And it might not have been a foreign substance. It might have been rosin in that. But he's trying to say, okay, well, maybe this is just a little too sticky that we think we need to make a, a, a call here and say, look, there's a line you can have with rosin even, even if that is rosin. But you won't know because you don't test it. But that, that's my thing is I don't – I'm not saying that he told the umpires like, hey, you got to get somebody in this game. My whole thing is that he – knows how bad of a look it is on the game right now for what these substance checks and everything are like and no pitcher is dumb enough to do it in the first week especially you want to say it's a couple months down the road i can absolutely see it but in the first week with how bad everything is looked and it was especially on a sunday like where most of the games are on a day games where people are sweating more anyways like to me that seems a little bit odd that that happened you know at the end of that week against somebody like a Hector Santiago and it wasn't a big name pitcher just kind of showing everybody like hey we really do mean business about this and we'll call you out for something yeah and I do agree that you know I I do agree that you're going to look at the fact that you know they're going to take a hard line on anything to prove a point you know, the, the, you know, saying that, oh, they picked this one out from the beginning. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, I think that I think it's possible that, you know, this, you know, who else is pitching? Uh, what, what Kershaw pitching Sunday? Like, it's yeah. possible that this could have happened to Kershaw. And, you know, if they had found found a little bit of stickiness in his glove, then they would have taken the same hard line. I don't think it was just because it was Hector Santiago. No. But I, I, you know. I think that it's one of those where they're going to take a hard line on whoever they might find has a little bit of stickiness to prove their point. So, um, but we'll see. Um, you know, I think that the, I do think that, and, you, and I know you probably disagree with me on this one, but I do think that the purpose of this stuff, I think it actually is working to a certain level. You know, I hate it for Hector Santiago, and I think that that's a case where they need to flip things around. But, I mean, spin rates are down, offense is up, and it's happening naturally, you know, because obviously the, you know, the people aren't, you know, cheating (laughs) anymore. And, um, you know, you've seen it with certain pitchers that were uh, quote-unquote dominant pitchers, uh, Garrett Cole, um, that all of a sudden getting lit up and don't seem to not know how to pitch anymore and because they're not cheating anymore. So, um you know, I think, in a, in, you know, to a certain extent, you've got guys who are doing that. This is doing its job, but they do need to find better ways to, to do this enforcement and to make it fair. So because I don't think it's fair that if you're going to let somebody use rosin and a little bit gets in their glove, you know, I don't think that's fair that you're going to suspend them for 10 games, even though it is 10 games with pay. So, I mean, Hector Santiago ought to be happy about it because he was probably getting DFA'd anyways. So 10 games with pay is pretty nice. But, uh, you know, the one other thing about this too, I don't think anybody's really talked about enough is you lose that, that roster spot. Yeah. Um, your player stays on the roster, the, tw- the 26 man major league roster, uh, but he's not allowed to pitch when this happens. So, um, that's uh, that's something that's I think is pretty interesting uh, as well in this in this case. So the Mariners now are down a pitcher, down a player, so they're back to a 25-man roster for the next 10 games. 
So I think that's something that, you know, I think that definitely needs to be well, looked at. I don't so think that's fair at all. I Well, they're trying to punish the teams and make sure that the teams police themselves with this cheating thing. But here's my thing. What about this? Hector Santiago is appealing. So while his appeal is going through, he's still on the roster legally, right? Yeah. What if they send him down? What if they DFA him? Because he's still he can he can definitely be that during the appeal the process of an appeal he's not locked onto the roster yeah so what if they oh well we're gonna dfa him and then he'll get his 10 games with pay but we dfa'd him during his appeal process he's not a part of our roster now so yeah. when he gets well then suspended, you probably could you probably could you know you probably could do that but i mean if it's anybody that's you know you're trying to keep around you know dfaing them obviously they're gone now so um, I would be interested to see what what an option, like a guy that has options, yeah, what, what you could do about that. So say like, because then would you be suspended in the minor yeah. leagues? Yeah, say say that Walker Bueller, who I think's been had been around, I think he's he still got options, right? I believe say, so. Yeah, so say if this happens to him and he gets the ten game suspension, could you send him to AAA, and just for the minimum ten days? to while he's on that while he's got that so that that's that's another that's something that I, I don't know that rule but um i'm sure there's ways teams could work around it i mean obviously with when it comes to hector santiago i mean it, you know if this is upheld i don't know if the mariners need him keep him around or something they could very easily just dfa him but i, I don't know if um, yeah i mean i don't it, know what the case is be, there it's going to be interesting to see something about what happens with this because like the appeal process, I don't think we, any of us expect anything to come out of it um, because there's no way to prove anything. But anyways, let's, uh, let's move on to the one no hitter that we did have this week. Um, quite possibly could be one of the worst no hitters we've ever seen in our lifetime. But before we jump into actually the stats of the no hitter, this is the seventh no-hitter on the year so far, which ties the modern era record for no-hitters in a season. If you want to go back to like the 1884 season, there was eight no-hitters in the year. But this is the seventh no-hitter this year, um, and it, that has happened one, two, three, four times before 2021. So 1990, 1991, 2012, and 2015 each had seven no-hitters um, overall in the season but we're not even to the all-star break yeah that's uh that's pretty crazy man I, i've never seen anything like it and, and you got to remember too that this is number eight because the unofficial one really i mean yeah. it, you know uh you could call it number eight so um very interesting there um you look at the uh, the fact that um this no hitter was uh this i will say this about this this no hitter is more of a, a fluke. The other no hitters, you know, it was before all this enforcement we've been talking about, you know, there might've been something to do with that. And some of those, whatever, this no hitter, this was a fluke. The, the Dodgers got no hit by the Cubs with Zach Davies on the mound, plus three relievers. I think it was, you said it was Chafin, uh, um, yeah, and Kimbrell. Yep. Were the relievers, right? Yeah. So they walked eight guys, um, and I believe seven strikeouts, right? So eight walks, seven strikeouts, and they're no hitter. Um, and basically, you know, the chances of that being a no hitter are extremely low. It wasn't some kind of dominant pitching performance. It just was one of those games where it it, it just so happened that the um, that the, the that they didn't make their 
they didn't they didn't make the ball fall into into the play, into places. I mean, it, you know, they just got unlucky on balls in play, whatever. So this is a uh, this is something we wanted to talk about. We, I found a I found an article online this from back in 2018. Um, it, it was on MLB.com by Joe Posnaski. They had a list of the worst no hitters of all time. So I was I was sitting here thinking where where would this rank? Now these are all complete game no hitters that they had on here, but I still found it interesting. Uh, number one on this list, there, there's two no hitters on here that the team that threw the no hitter lost. The first one was Matt Young for the Red Sox threw one against the Indians, who gave up seven walks and six stolen bases, gave up two runs, and it was not a it's not considered an official no hitter because he didn't pitch he pitched a complete game, but it was eight innings because the they were on the road and they lost. So he didn't pitch a ninth inning. If they had been at home and he'd pitched the ninth inning, he would have gotten a loss and the no hitter. But this this was this wasn't this wasn't even the case. So, um, anyways, that, I thought that was interesting. Um, and then there was a couple of famous ones: Edwin Jackson's no hitter, eight walks and a hit by pitch, threw 149 pitches in that one. Um, AJ Burnett had nine walks and a hit by pitch in his. So uh, one other interesting one on here was um, the uh, the no hitter by. Um, by uh, by Johnny Vandermeer, who is famous for throwing two no hitters in a row. Uh, so he's his second one in a row was actually against the Dodgers as well. He had eight walks in that one. So uh, these no hitters are uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I just noticed. And on that one, he had seven strikeouts. Yeah, eight walks, seven strikeouts. So <laughs> you know. Sometimes you think about no hitters, and you think about some of the ones we've seen this year so far. You, you think about the one that was thrown by uh, Joe Musgrove. You know, the only blemish a hit by pitch. You think about the one that was thrown by John Means. The only blemish was, you know, the ball in the dirt that got away from the catcher. So those are dominant pitching performances. But this one, I, this was not a dominant pitching performance by any means. I mean, it could have just as soon been the game result was the other way around in this in this one yeah and, so. and like we were talking before the game there was a lot of hard hit balls in this game in general um let alone you know the soft contact that could just bloop in or whatever like there was some hard line outs some hard ground balls that were over 100 miles an hour right at people um and like you said one of the if you look at zach davies baseball savant page it is probably one of the worst baseball savant pages of all time i mean he has nothing that he does really well and they just he just happened to get out of the troubles whenever he got into it right and and thing is i kind of had a feeling going in because zach davies always finds a way to just dominate the dodgers and this wasn't dominating any means but he just always finds a way to he could pitch really bad. I mean, I think he had close to a five or above five ERA heading into this game. And, you know, he allows zero runs, obviously, with no hits. Like, it, it just, he always finds a way against the Dodgers to do something like this. So, and you could tell through the entire thing, it never felt like the Dodgers were out of the game, even though they were down 4 nothing and they were getting no hit. Like, it just really didn't feel like they were out of the game because he, the, they were on base. They had a bunch of opportunities with people in scoring position on base at all that one hit could have turned the game right into a, you know, a very interesting game all of a sudden. Yeah, they could have popped a home run or something. But I tell you, the crazy thing is that you 
you have a, a, a team that, you know, it felt to me like, you know, the Dodgers were the Dodgers were one pitch away from like winning that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where it, it's crazy that, you know, uh, and typically I pull for the no hitter. I'm watching a team a guy trying to throw a no hitter, you know, unless it's a you know a rival for the Braves or something that I you know I, I usually pull for the no hitter. Right. And in this case, I was pulling for it not to be a no hitter because it was so poorly pitched. I mean, yeah. it was they pitched so bad. I was like, oh, man, I do not want this to be a no hitter. You know, I don't want to have to talk about it, but yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that it ended up being a no hitter. And I mean, hats off to the bullpen for the Cubs because they, you know, came in and I mean, uh, you know, Kimbrel pitched really well. And um, yeah, those three have know. been really good for the Cubs all year long. Yeah. So. Um, but anyways, very, very interesting stuff. About. Yeah, no doubt for uh, for you, I'm sure. And, I mean, it, it's hard talking about it for me a little bit too. So. <laughs> well, it, the Dodgers were just coming off getting swept by the Padres too. And so you thought coming into this game, like, okay, well, they just came off three in a row to San Diego. They got swept. Like, they're going to want to make some noise. And then they come there and this is the game that gets put up. And it's just like, man, that's yeah, that's stupid. They, I mean, yeah. they ended up winning the next three, but still. Yeah, the, you know, and I think this is something that, that, that on occasion happens to the Dodgers. They're a team that's extremely patient at the plate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the amount of, you know, walks and strikeouts that they have on their team, you know, I think that they, they're a team, I don't think they're a, typically a super high hits number team. They get on base in other ways, and then they pop home runs and, and and extra base hits. Uh, you know, you got guys like Cody Bellinger in that lineup. You got Max Muncy in that lineup. Those are own base guys who don't necessarily hit for a high average all the time. You know, that also hit for power. So their stats are really good. But sometimes you end up getting some of these fluky no hitters, like or, or low hit games from the Dodgers because yeah. they're just not putting a ton of hard hit balls in, in play. A lot of times when they're hitting the ball real hard, they're hitting you know tanks so um but anyways i thought it was uh you know i thought it was an interesting game definitely interesting game to talk about um you know and what's been an otherwise uh you know i guess rough week for the dodgers i mean they won their last three so yeah it was and honestly it was just kind of a a weird week for baseball in general like yeah this is going to be a much shorter episode than what we're probably used to because there just really wasn't much going on I mean, our next segment we're going to jump to is our players of the week already. You know, that was the three main stories we had, and that trade happened today. Yeah. So, uh, well, we can also talk about one of those players this week for a while. <laughs> yeah, the, we can. Let, let's jump into the players of the week, and you go ahead and, uh, and tell us about that player. All right. So uh, I have the privilege of picking uh, hitter first this week. So I got to pick the runaway here. Uh, and it's Kyle Schwarber. Um, he um, <laughs> he was good this week. He is hitting home runs at a remarkable rate. Uh, he this this in the past seven games this week he hit six homers. He hit two tonight again. Uh, um, I don't know if he hit two tonight. I know Otani hit two. Tonight. Otani's hit two tonight. I, th- I think Schwarber has hit two tonight. He's I know he hit one tonight already. I think he might have hit two already tonight. So. Uh, Schwarber has hit um, he is hitting home runs at a remarkable rate right now he hit his okay he's only hit one tonight it was his 25th of the year 
and he wasn't that high up there for a long time. I mean, this has all been done in the past, like, two weeks, that he's yes. just been on an absolute tear. So since this was as of two hours ago, so I don't think this has his one in today, so we'll add that in. Since June 12th, if you add tonight's homer, he has 17 homers himself. That is more than any major league team has this month. Yep. So um, the record for a team to hit um, the record for a team to hit home runs or a player in a, in a month, I believe was Sammy Sosa with 25. So he's not going to catch that unless he hits like uh, four, I mean, back -back four homer games or it, something. But it depends on if you, what you count a month. Cause I mean, if you count yeah. June 12th to July 12th, well, it, it was for the month of June, like the yeah. calendar month of June. Okay. So he's not going to get that, but um, very interesting. Um, what a week for him it's been pretty crazy so. yeah he's uh he's been amazing i mean it it's been one of the more fascinating things to watch i think seven of those have been like leadoff homers too so uh, I yeah mean, they moved him up to the leadoff spot and he, that, i think that's kind of when he started this whole tear um and to see some of these ones that he's hitting i mean i think before yesterday he hadn't hit an inside pitch for a homer yet in during this little run, they had all been outside pitches and he'd been able to hit them all for homers. Yesterday was his first one that was inside that he actually got for Homer and for Schwarber. He's a guy who has power to plays all fields, oh, but yeah. most of the time you think he's up more of a pull hitter and you know, some of those from the outside, he's been able to pull for homers, but a lot of them have been to either center field or the opposite field even. Um, so it, it's been even fun to watch. I mean, our group chat always blows up with, it seems like every day, Schwarber, Otani, Vlad Jr., Tatis, I mean, they're all just going back and forth about who's going to battle for the league lead in homers. Vlad Jr. Yeah. I mean, the two with Otani tonight. Yeah, Otani's yeah. up to 27, I believe. 28. 28, yeah, because well, he hit two tonight. He's up to yeah. 28, so um, very crazy. You know, that'd be on pace for, you know, 50-plus. So mm -hmm. um, very, very good stuff, entertaining entertaining players um it's one of the things that you know we're we're all about here you know we all these these performances and it's so fun to watch a guy like kyle schwarber who was non-tendered this offseason and got replaced by a pitcher by a player we thought was so similar to him yeah. um you know be on a tear like this and um i think it's definitely i think it's good to good to see and it's a Especially in a year like this, where you know the ball hadn't been juiced, you know this. I think it means more this year, well, you know, for Kyle Schwarber to go on a tear like this than it did like, like just about everybody was going on a tear like this, you know, last year, year before last, you know, because of the yeah. juiced ball. But with the ball being not quite as juiced this year, you know, I think this has been a, a pretty nice, uh, you know, a pretty pretty fun thing to see. So absolutely um, definitely entertaining but uh who was your uh, who was your hitter this week so i'm going with like the exact opposite of kyle schwarber i'm going with the guy who's not known for power at all um and that's adam frazier of the pittsburgh pirates his career high for homers in a season is 10 um so complete opposite of what schwarber's doing but this week adam uh, adam frazier he's one of the more underrated players uh, in the league to me i mean he's hitting 444 this week a 517 on base, a 708 slugging. He had two homers, uh, but nine runs, three RBIs. The RBIs aren't big because he's he's at the top of that Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, so he's not going to get a lot of RBIs. 
But one of the interesting things to me is that he struck out and walked at the exact same rate this week. So he walked 13.8% and struck out 13.8% this this week. Yeah, and, and you look at Adam Frazier as a guy who I believe and he's hit two, he hit two home runs this week too, which, yep. you know, it's pretty interesting, but um, this is kind of a, a classic type of leadoff hitter. You know, yep. he gets on base a lot at nine percent walk rate this year, um, roughly at eight eight point seven. Doesn't strike out much. Um, high average guy. You know, puts the ball in play. Um, you know, he's a really solid, solid player. Last year was a big time down year for him, but a lot of that was a two forty six BABIP related. Other than that, he's been a roughly league average to slightly above league average hitter uh, who plays really good defense. So this is a, this is a pretty valuable player, maybe a piece that the, that the pirates would look at moving around the deadline. So. Yeah, that, that he is one of the, the interesting names and hot commodities in the, uh, the trade market world right now. Yeah. So it will be pretty interesting to watch, but who's your, uh, who's your pitcher of this week? So my pitcher this week was, uh, I was going with Kyle Freeland this week who is a guy who was he a i'm trying to remember if he was an all-star in 2019 or if he was just uh, kind of a, was Let me i see. know he finished real high up in the cy young voting and he was good i think he was third um, he? possibly but um colorado rockies pitcher um who you know the last year or two has been a big time struggle for him ever since i, I think that was actually 2018 that he he had that big year um Last couple years have been a big time struggle for Kyle Freeland, um, and and starting off this year, major injury issues. But uh, in his last two starts, he had a two start week this past week. Um, Eleven strikeouts per nine, one point six walks per nine, uh, and eleven innings pitched in those two starts. He has a uh, getting the ball on the ground a lot, and he only gave up it looks like uh, one run. So uh, in those two outings, so really good stuff. I think there was a a little bit of concern about him maybe having a hamstring cramp the other day in one of the starts that maybe got him pulled a little bit early, but he's, um, you know, he had a great start this week and, uh, or a great, great week this week. And he, um, you know, I think he earned a, earned a nice, uh, you know, earned a nice little, uh, little bit of uh, recognition with that. Cause he, um, he's a guy who, you know, it's tough to do that as a Colorado Rocky. Yeah. He, like you said, that 2018 year, he was not an all-star. I just looked that up. But he had a fantastic year. Um, like you said, was up there with the, the Cy Youngs. And it was one of the more interesting years because trying to do that in Colorado with a guy, um, you know, he, he's a big ground ball rate guy. But even then, it, he doesn't throw particularly hard. He has a nasty slider, though. Um, so to see Kyle Freeland back after you said he struggled for the last couple years, it, it was really fun to see because I thought in that 2018 year, that the Colorado Rockies had finally found, you know, one of their kind of ace pitchers or, or those upper echelon pitchers that they very much need, you know, the high ground ball rate guy that can succeed in Coors Field. And to see him struggle the past couple of years, it, it was it'd been really hard to watch because you saw what he had done in 2018. So it's really good to see Kyle Freeland getting getting back to that 2018 kind of form and hopefully he can keep it up for, you know, more than just these couple starts he had because his year this year still hasn't been uh, been up to par yet. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate to, you know, for him with what's happened. Now, you go back and you do look at that year that he had in 2018 and a high, uh, high dip, uh, his peripherals weren't great. But he's still, you know, a guy that gets the ball on the ground a lot. It seemed like one of those situations where he was kind of legitimately beating his peripherals. 
Um, and last year, I, you know, I didn't. I was a little bit exaggerating on him being bad last year. He wasn't really that bad. A 4.33 ERA. Um, you know, not not terrible, not 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 fantastic, but uh, you know, it's good to see him have a have a good uh, couple good outings. You know, this year it's been rough for him again, but you know, with these last two outings, maybe after his injury, he's coming back into form a little bit. Uh, Stinks for the Rockies because I mean, it just seems like they they had this year from him a couple of years ago in 2018. You know, they they have Herman Marquez, who's been a pretty consistently good pitcher. Uh, John Gray, who's got a lot of talent. Sensatella's had stretches where he was good. It seems like they've got some pieces that they could build a rotation out of. It just hasn't happened. So, um, you know, and, and with the, now they don't have any offense because they're because of their um, they don't have any offense now because of their um, um, because of their trades and stuff that they've made and you know just bad contracts and not being able to supplement the guys they have. So. Anyways, it, it's been it's been interesting to see, um, you know, what Kyle Freeland can do, and hopefully he can continue this recent form going forward. But uh, anyways, who's your pitcher of the week? So I went with uh, Oakland A's rookie Cole Irvin this week. Uh, his first start really wasn't all that great. I mean, it was I think five innings, three earned runs, um, four strikeouts or something. It really, overall, the 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 game that really made me keep an eye on him was uh, Sunday against the San Francisco Giants. I was watching it. He went eight innings. Um, I think he had like eight strikeouts or something. Overall, his week was 13 innings pitch, 10 hits, three earned runs, three walks, 12 strikeouts. Um, but the way that he had carved through the San Francisco Giants uh, lineup was, it was really amazing to watch. He was the third pitcher this year to make it through seven innings against the Giants. Um, the only other two being Walker Buehler and Joe Ross. But he, he was dominating. I mean, at one point, I believe it was like the sixth inning and he was only at like 54 pitches or something, or maybe it was the seventh inning when I looked. His eighth inning was a, was pretty rough. They, you know, they worked that pitch count, got a couple guys on base and it stopped him from being able to have the complete game. But Cole Urban's had a really good year and then being able to, a team that has been, you know, leading the division has one of the best run differentials in the league. So they score a lot of runs. Um, you know, to be able to keep them at bay, I think he was even – there was a shutout at that point. It was eight innings of shutout ball. So really, really good start from Cole Irvin and uh, really wanted to mention him, even though if you look at his week overall, you know, a 208 ERA, um, you know, not quite usually what we pick for these Yeah, still these good. Weeks, but, but, um, but, yeah. but, yeah, that, definitely interesting. And Cole Irvin's been a big part for the, for the A's. Seems like they get a guy like him every year that, you know, he doesn't walk a ton of guys and – might not strike out a lot, but he's, you know, if you keep the balls in play with that Oakland defense, with, you know, Chapman behind him, even Elvis Andrews still decent defensively at shortstop. You got Loriano out there in the outfield who's, who's good. Um, Matt Olson's probably the best defensive first baseman in the game. You've got all these pieces behind him. Uh, you know, it, it helps a lot to, to have what, to have a guy like Cole Irvin who, you know, is not going to get himself into trouble. Um, but, uh, definitely, definitely good stuff for him this week. So we'll see what he can do going forward. Absolutely. Well, getting ready to uh, to come up on the All Star break in a couple weeks. Um, we'll talk more about the home run derby participants as we figure those out probably next week. Um, and I think in a couple weeks go over a breakdown. But pretty much all we have for for this episode. So thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the BotFit Podcast, and we will catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.